welcome. Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on what's happening on the ground and what new trends are emerging within the construction industry. This show is brought to you in partnership with Place Engage, a data-driven platform for more successful public consultation and community engagement for your next development project. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sean O'Leary of the Irish Planning Institute, Senior Planner. Sean, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carol. Sean, I'm I'm delighted to chat to you today because it's been a while since we've spoken last. Um, and I recall many years ago having um some in-depth conversations with you about planning reform. So we won't we won't take out a measuring stick to see how far planning has come in terms of, of that reform, but you might just share with us um, you know, because every week we have criticisms about Ireland's planning regime, you know, it's it's linked to delays in the delivery of homes of all types and tenures. Um, you might just give us an overview of where you see planning in Ireland right now. Yeah, I, I suppose the first thing that I think people need to remember is that the planning system we have now is a very complicated one. It's probably necessarily complicated, but you're you're looking at, you know, probably 200, you're looking at over 200 plans from development plans, local plans, strategic development zones. You've got 31 local authorities. The regional assemblies have an increasing role in this as well. Uh, you've got the Office of the Planning Regulator and the Department and the Board. So you've got these big, uh, I, I suppose, central uh, players in the planning system as well. You've got other departments, things like uh, Department of Environment and Climate, taking a bigger role in climate action and planning as well. So you've got a complicated landscape. And then layered on top of that, you've got things like legal decisions and uh, and the outcomes of things like judicial review. And layered on top of that, again, then you've got, uh, I suppose, changes in European uh, particularly environment policy, environment protection legislation and, and, and findings of legal cases from Europe as well. So I suppose the starting point is a very complicated system with a lot of moving parts. And then within that, you've got a lot of different actors too. Uh, you know, you've got communities, obviously, developers, planners, other design professionals, elected members, um, and 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 uh, the legal profession, and and you know a, a range of moving parts in this, and and, and I think planning reform uh, that doesn't bring all those moving parts, it doesn't take into account all of those moving parts, isn't isn't, isn't going to to work. Uh, I suppose at the same time, there's still a lot of stuff in the system that is working. You know, it's about 88% of planning applications are granted every year. Um, there's you know, 40,000 applications, maybe 30, 30, 30 of those kind of getting decided every year. You're permitting probably about 40,000 units, if, if not more a year as well, uh, except a lot of those are, are, are one-offs, which, which aren't necessarily uh, contributing to meeting our, our, our housing targets. So there's bits of the system that are working very well, but at the same time, it's very stretched and there's certainly improvements that, that, that need to be made. Uh, and then that is something that the Programme for Government and the draft planning legislation has committed to fixing. But, but I think what maybe, uh, what maybe the government has found is how complicated it was. And then when that draft bill was published, some things in it, that, some things in it became kind of controversial and there was changes in it that I think probably my fear as a, as a, as a planner, I suppose my fear as a, a representative of planners was, uh, it was changing stuff that worked well. It was making other changes without a rationale. Uh, and then it was trying to um, to, to, to kind of uh, change the horse maybe midstream without actually a, a strong evidence base or a strong plan for what it was trying to achieve. 
Uh, and, 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 and again, as I said, unless you're bringing all those players with you, I don't think whatever reform system we end up with is going to, uh, is going to, to, to meet the expectations that people maybe have for it. Um, I think that's a really fair point and thank you for keeping me honest because you're absolutely right. We do criticise the planning system and individual planning stories that are coming out on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. And you're absolutely right. We don't maybe stop and reflect on the elements that are working and the the vast majority of planning applications that are going through successfully and actually going right through to delivering the vital new homes that we need. So, you know, genuinely, thanks for keeping me honest, because you're right, that is important that we acknowledge that and the work that's being done. And just in terms of the ecosystem that you describe, I realise that even with my cursory knowledge, you know, there's players there that I wasn't factoring in. And that's huge. You cannot, you know, no one body could tackle reform that that would bring all of those other players um you know together because that's that's just too many moving parts but also that's too many maybe agendas as well um so where when we talk about the planning reform that needs to happen how how do we prioritize and say right we understand that these issues are important but they can't they can't derail our progress. Um, you know, so for example, we know that climate considerations have to move to the top of the list. We know this. Um, but we can't if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. So where do we need to start? Where do we go from this point? Yeah, I mean, I I, I suppose like it's it's I mean, planning is it is central to, to building anything. Homes, as I said, infrastructure, flood defences, renewables. Um, I mean, and the, the, the planning system is 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 a key part of 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 all of that. The planning system, what it's very good at, is mediating those sort of conflicts and those different agendas. That's what you know. It's one of the skills that planners have. It's one of the whole purposes of it. I think something that a good thing about the new planning, uh, the, the the new planning bill or the draft planning bill that was published was it had a definition of sustainable development in it. I think probably we need to be a bit more open in terms of talking about what sustainable development is, what our interpretation of sustainable development is, how you balance that environmental and the economic and the and the, and the social uh, side of things. I think we probably need to get better at talking about the sort of Ireland that we want to, you know, the sort of communities that we need. Uh, or we want to have the sort of cities, towns, rural places that we want to have. We're not very good at talking about that sort of stuff. Uh, and, and those conversations surface, uh, I suppose, some of these challenges and where renewables go, where housing needs to go uh, uh, and how we get around and, 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 and things like that. And I mean, there's ways to make that very real. And, and this is, I suppose, areas that I, I, I know you've, you've got much more expertise than I do, Carol, but, you know, things like digital planning. As it stands, we're talking a lot about digital planning and e-planning, but really that's just about planning applications. And that's just making planning applications, uh, I suppose, digital and not paper-based, very important. Uh, but I, I would argue that's probably not transformative. Uh, you know, there's there's other things like how we use technology in forward planning, how we use 3D plans, how people can actually uh, visualize uh, developments, how people can visualize their future area, all that's the sort of stuff that, again, we probably need to do more of. But I would say that a lot of countries haven't, like Scotland would be one of the leaders when it comes to planning applications online, digital planning applications online. Uh, I don't think they've maybe done a huge amount about that um, digital future kind of piece 
and forward planning, visualizing change, imagining that sort of future. I think I think we probably uh, we, we we probably uh, all across across the across the globe and across Europe can learn a bit more about how we do that. So I think that's one part of it is actually just what sort of country do we want, being open about that. Uh, a lot of these conflicts hit the planning system anyway at the application stage. So we, you know, the intention would be to try and have those as early as possible. Obviously, a conversation that's going on at the moment is 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 reviewing the national planning framework. Uh, a lot of the attention on the national planning framework review has been about census population, um, and 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 making sure that that's not a a break on ambition, maybe, and that it's you know facilitating putting things in the right place. Uh, for me, I think that conversation about the planning framework needs to go bigger than that. It's not just about census, though very important. It needs to be more about you know, how you make climate action real, what that means for infrastructure, where you put it, how you connect up infrastructure, what that means for landscape and all these different things. Uh, so I think there's a lot of work that we need to do. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's probably not going to get you immediate results, but if you're taking this long place-based approach which is what planners do um, and what the system is there to do. I think it's a key part of it as well. So definitely there's immediate challenges, but I think we're, we, we need to have those open conversations about the long-term vision as well. Yeah, and look, there's a couple of things there that, that I want to maybe hone in on in greater detail, but maybe just start as a non-planner, me asking you as a senior planner within um, the Irish Planning Institute, what, you know, your interpretation of sustainable development, what is sustainable development? Sustainable development is getting, I mean, there's there's there's, there's uh, a definition of sustainable development in the, um, in the draft bill, which recognizes that there will be conflicts between social, economic and environmental. And that sometimes, as long as you take the three of them into consideration, sometimes you are going to have one, which maybe will be more weighted towards economic concerns, maybe weighted towards environmental concerns. And then you have a whole host of environmental assessments, which will try and help you mitigate any environmental damage, for example. Um, so you know, there's a, a relatively strong framework there already. It's probably not talked about. I mean, the other aspect of sustainable development theory is this institutional part of sustainable development. Uh, that's something that climate action, I think, is trying to do, really, that we reorientate everything we do towards sustainability. And, and, and you mentioned it yourself, you know, if everything is a priority, how do you make climate and sustainability the priority? That's, 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 that's something that, that, that I guess is still, um, still evolving. And that's one comment I would have about the draft bill as it was published, is there was changes in it, but, but maybe... Um, again, it's getting that balance right between sticking with the system we have and what works and the plans that people are familiar with and, and, and then also maybe reimagining it. And, and, and look, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a tension. Uh, and, and the risk, obviously, is that if you try and reimagine things too much, everything kind of grinds to a halt and that's a luxury we, 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 we don't have uh, either. I do think that national planning framework uh, review, which is going to be completed by, uh, by this time, by, by March next year, March 2024. I think that's an opportunity to have these conversations, but again, that needs consultation and engagement. And I suppose the experience we have from the local scale is whether all those actors are consulted now and whether they participate now or whether they kind of, you know, it's left to the end. So again, you're talking about this idea of meaningful consultation. And that's communities, the environmental pillar, but it's also the development community. It's, it's everyone, you know, what, what actual shape do we want to have? 
to, to, to 2050? And how can we be flexible as well if our population grows uh, more than we think it is, if our climate changes faster than we think it is going, if there's new technologies, how can we be uh, agile as well? So look, they're, they're, they're kind of um, difficult things maybe to integrate into legislation, but they're all conversations that I think we need to have as well at the same time, and not just look at the short-term issues, which are obviously very important too. Yeah, you know, I, I really like, as a non-planner, I like when you really break it into the simple terms of, okay, what kind of country do we want to see? Because actually, I think that's a really fundamental starting point. And as you know, my my passion is towards um, engaging the community. And I see a huge disparity between our um, urban planning ambitions and what is you know, what is, um, I suppose, being put forward for our rural development. And um, I live in a very rural area. I live in an area that has been deprived, it would say, for centuries, not just decades, um, you know, on, on the West Coast of Ireland a lot of the time. And, you know, one of the points that comes up, and, and I feel quite emotional about this because actually, unlike many... Um, maybe planners that are feeding into policy. I have the for the good fortune most weeks of sitting down over tea in my kitchen at my kitchen table or somebody else's and listening to somebody living in a rural community. And you know, just a conversation I had this week involved, you know, a, a man in his late 50s who was fished and farmed and, and worked the land locally. And he was just shaking his head talking about um you know a particular government policy saying why don't they just listen? Why don't they listen? Why doesn't anybody ask us? You know, this is a community that just doesn't feel heard. And when we come to rural development, I, I genuinely believe that we are moving too quickly for the generations who are actually living there um, rurally. They're not ready. They're seeing their communities. So, for example, actually just this week, another conversation I had was about um, a local village that before my time apparently had, you know, a guard, a priest, um, a couple of shops, there is a, a school, there is nothing there now, just houses, just houses that, and possibly, I won't say half, but, you know, maybe 30% plus vacant homes and derelict homes, um, but nothing else, you know, no guard, no priest, no uh, functioning church, um, no school that's open, you know, and these were places that were thriving communities. And I am very concerned that when we talk about our climate ambitions and what needs to happen in terms of our urban development, I just don't believe that that has been fairly translated for the rural communities um, up and down, particularly the west coast of Ireland. But I'm sure other, other parts of rural Ireland as well. But the reality is the, the community does not believe that the state is listening to them. You know, uh, and, and I, I believe that that's a problem. You know, Sean, you and I years ago talked about how we could engage the community better. And one thing I I know for absolute sure, it is not about one way messaging. It's not mm. about what we tell the community. You know, mm. there has to be a better mechanism for listening. And that's just not in place at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's regrettable. I think I think a lot of the in maybe not in planning practice, but a lot of a lot of the discussion about rural planning, it ended up focusing on things like wastewater, 
it ended up on focusing on things like sight lines. And again, it wasn't really thinking, of, and, and, and I suppose focusing on the one-off rural house, um, which will probably always be a, a part of it. And there's always going to be those, that kind of housing need that will be addressed by the one-off rural house. But, but, but again, it was, it was missing the, the, the village. And again, uh, I suppose for a long time, the issue was people not building in villages and maybe services declining as a result of that. Uh, but the flip side of that is, as you said, there's no point in putting all these houses into villages if you're still increasing car dependence to get the services that you need. Um, the Climate Change Advisory Council and, and the OECD like, did do a nice piece of work about transformational transport and stuff like that. And I'm glad that looked at rural transport as well as, 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 well as urban transport. Um, but, but again, I, I suppose what it is for a small country, there's very different rural Ireland's depending where you are yeah. and I think I think there's quite a good understanding of that in the planning system and um, maybe that's not reflected in, in kind of wider policy or service delivery policy as well but you know the the, the the village in the west of Ireland is very different to a kind of a village relatively close to Park City or or or, or, or whatever and uh, and the pressures are different I think planning policy does reflect that but uh, but then the other services that's that's part of the issue that, that that we have with with planning in Ireland anyway, is generally uh, things like education policy, transport policy. A lot of these things are outside the competency of the planning system. Yeah, you know, I I fully appreciate it. You know that that this is a really broad ecosystem, and and in a way, it's because planning touches off absolutely everything that's important to us in life. But actually, that's all the more reason why. Not only we need to get it right, but actually it's all the more reason why maybe we can't just leave it up to the experts. At the end of the day, planning is a public function. Um, we need the community to be more engaged, but we need them not to be coming from a place of frustration and anger like they are now or even apathy like they might have been a decade ago. We need them to be coming from a fully informed place. And <clears throat> excuse me, in a way, I wonder, are we maybe, you know, in, in some ways, do we patronise? the local community thinking that they won't understand the complexities involved when I, I just don't believe that's the case. I think that actually greater consultation could actually lead to some good problem solving. And, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier that planners tend to have a good kind of mediation mindset. Mm. They're a good problem solving and, and mediation. They That's how they tend to come to the table. And from that point of view, it would be really interesting to see what the results of, of something like that, a more two-way, uh, a more two-way consultative um, or participation uh, conversation with the community could yield. Um, and look, and, and I mean the, the the office of the the office of the planning regulator does have a, a statutory public awareness role now, and and they're and they're doing a lot of good work in 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 that space. Um, but but again, it's it's that you use. And it's making sure that it's meaningful. And I guess the risk is of that disconnect that uh, the OPR, for example, can present how it works or how it's supposed to work or the opportunities that are there. But then people need to see that on the ground. And, and, and again, I suppose a key point of the planning system needs to be that that doesn't take place at the project application stage, that a lot of those conversations have happened at the development plan stage. And I suppose one of the risks is the planning reform bill is looking at a 10-year development plans, which, which from a planning practitioner point of view, I think makes sense that you'd have that 10-year horizon rather than the six-year one that development plans currently have. Uh, but obviously that has implications for communities as well. The decisions that are made in a 10-year, at the start of a 10-year development plan, 
um, really will have very profound impacts by the time that development plan comes around again. And I think the implications of that need to be teased out as well. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting one. And Sean, do you think the the reputation of the industry has taken a hit um, over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 planning perhaps more than any, from my view, from my perspective, planning more than any other uh, um, maybe built environment profession. Like it has been very cyclical. And that's that's one thing that I think we're we're seeing now is that there is a, a, a significant resourcing issues when it comes to planners in the public and private sector and just actually the availability of planners. I think part of that is down to uh, it's it's uh, it, it becomes a, a pinch point when things get very busy and and then when 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 uh, when things drop off, the number of planners working in the sector drop off and that and that and that causes. It's kind of a vicious cycle that way. I think that's one side of it. Something that I'm very conscious of, again, is that there's a need for planners in the public and private sector. There's, there's, uh, uh, we're, we're probably short about a third. The OPR, the planning regulator, is estimating that there's a, in terms of headcount, we're about a third uh, below where we need to be, and that we're underfunded. And there's 541 vacancies as of last year in in the local authority planning system uh, alone. And, and, and I suppose what, what keeps coming back to me is we need to make planning an attractive career for people. And uh, I don't know if, if, I suppose, recent developments haven't probably done a lot to help that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and again, I mean, at the same time, like planners come into this with a huge sense of purpose, with a huge sense of, uh, I suppose, a very real sense of the common good and delivering things. Uh, and, and they can do that in local authorities, in the semi-state sector, working for developers, uh, working in planning consultancies in, in academia. Uh, so there's you know, a, a variety of roles that planners can play to try and drive that through. But at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, it, it can become scapegoat, which can, you know, and I think we're beginning to see the very real effects of that is people just being put off, entering the career or staying in planning as a career. Uh, and, and that's the, the concern. But yeah, it's been it's been a difficult uh, it's been a difficult couple of years, probably compounded by a lot of obligations falling onto the planning system, uh, whether it's about residential zone land tax, whether it's about uh, maybe responding to the, 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 the Ukrainian crisis and things like that. Just just a lot of stuff falling into the planning system and um, maybe without the resources or the capacity being built to actually absorb them. And And, and you know, planners have always dealt with change, dealt with changing environmental regulations, dealt with new roles. Um, but but uh, but but I think that can lead to people getting, um, I suppose, a bit overwhelmed and a bit, you know, kind of you know losing focus on maybe the core of what planning is trying to achieve. Uh, and 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 really, that's my one wish for new planning reform, but also for conversations like this and other conversations that we have, is trying to to show. Um, that there's a lot of excesses, but there's also a lot of faults that we're aware of and that there's things that can be improved. But at the same time, without a fully functioning planning system that people want to work in, that the best people want to stay in, uh, it's going to make things worse. It's certainly not going to make things better by trying to run down the planning system. Yeah, you know, and and, and I, I do understand what you're saying there. You know, one of those figures that you threw out really hits me. And that's, you know, that there are, you know, 540-ish um, vacancies across local authority planning departments—that's huge. You yeah. know, where where are those people going to come from? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the issue. I mean, part of it is how we pay for them, I, I guess. And, and I mean, the, the planning system is historically under-resourced. So we haven't looked at planning fees since 2000 and, uh, 2001. So, you know, the, the planning fees bring in whatever. The, the planning fee for a one-off house, for example, is, is 65 euro. The cost of processing that is many multiples of that by the time you do your site visits, your assessments. Uh, your your report writing and 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 everything else. So I mean, we bring in I think roughly it's about twenty five million a year in planning fees, but the cost of processing planning applications is around two hundred million. So like we're only you know there is there are certain bases, and it's not for every sort of application, um, but but there's definitely some applications where I think we need to move to some sort of cost recovery model, and I think that delivers funding for technology and 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 for people. Um, but the other side of that is, is that doesn't that doesn't address a historic under-resourcing of planning departments. As we said, PCMA city and county managers have a, a figure of 541, uh, and that's technicals, uh, you know, GIS technicians, and 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 uh, as well as planners and, and and other people doing admin roles. There's maybe roughly kind of 60, 70 planners coming out of our, our accredited planning schools every year. We're obviously facing retirements, people changing careers, and things like that. Anecdotally, uh, you'd hear of um, some of the more entry-level planning roles and local authorities being very hard to fill. Uh, and, and again, this is this is an issue across, I would say, the English-speaking world. So in the past, maybe in the early 2000s, we'd have taken a lot of planners from places like South Africa um, with kind of similar systems. Uh, that's that's not really there anymore. You know, that the, the, there is a, a shortage of planners. I suppose I would say across the English-speaking world. So it's not that we're going to be able to, to maybe buy in these people. And then there's another issue, uh, I suppose, just when we're looking at capacity and resources and things like that, is uh, a lot of skills that we might need in marine planning to take advantage of 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 of, uh, of offshore renewables and things like that. I mean, every country in the world is looking for that planning expertise, that marine planning expertise, that marine ecology expertise, and things like that. Uh, and, and again, I think we need a strategy for how we build up our own capacity um, because all this stuff is coming down the line and we are competing with countries and, and planning systems across the globe. Uh, and, 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 you know, again, some of that is making it an attractive place. That is making it a, a good career choice. Uh, some of that is, is making sure that um, there's good mentoring there. And I think that's a challenge anecdotally I'm hearing as well is that planners, public and private practice, are so busy that the opportunities for mentorship aren't there. And that's obviously somewhere the Institute can play a role as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very busy, very dynamic, very important, very rewarding profession, but it's also one uh, that, is, uh, that, that, that is really being stretched in a lot of different ways. Um, and, uh, and, and we need to keep that momentum, I guess. I think there's recognition now across all the industry that, uh, that a properly resourced planning system is necessary uh, and getting that in place as quickly as possible is, is what we need to do. Um, you know, we, we've talked about resourcing a lot and, uh, you know, there isn't a Sunday that has gone by where the broadsheets haven't been carrying coverage of the latest coming out of on board Planola. Is it sufficient to just keep citing lack of resources? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the the, the board issue, obviously, I suppose the the the, the departure of, of 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 board members, you know, did diminish the capacity of the board to, to 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 maybe start taking decisions. One of the issues that's been a historic thing again, it's this kind of cyclical thing, is the board members are appointed by the minister, and there's been 
several times over the last 20 years even where the board has been allowed run down to very few members and then it gets up to its full complement and then it runs down again for for for, for different reasons um and 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 that doesn't i'm i'm, I'm str- i was struggling to think of another uh state board which does what the board does so i think there was probably a systemic lack of understanding of the centrality of the board it's not just appeals a lot of their work still is appeals but everything else really relies on the board uh, and it's not like the board of a of a you know an, another sort of public body this is the decision making board it's the executive board of the of the of the organization but it is a, it is a decision making board uh, and if you don't have the board members you can't get cases uh, you can't get cases out uh, but at the same time, then, in terms of, uh, you know, th- there's a whole host of, so planners are one part of it, and, and obviously uh, planning inspectors are, are are central to the activity of the board, but you need to make sure it's got enough administrators, it can get enough uh, ecology expertise, it can get enough uh, legal expertise and all these things as well. So there's, there's, there's probably a lot of very key things that the board does and key functions that weren't resourced. So it's not just, it's not just saying, you know, and and the board, I think, has been has been fairly open about this. You can give the board, you know, a hundred extra planners, uh, but unless you actually have the GIS technicians, the ecologists, the legal people, and the administrators to back that up, you're still going to you're still going to have you're still going to encounter kind of uh, pinch points. Um, and it goes back to what I said before. I suppose the board. Uh, notwithstanding maybe recent events, like I think it is still probably a very attractive place to work for planners, but the planners that go to the board are going to leave vacancies, private practice in local authorities. Uh, and again, the issue is whether we have a pipeline to actually fill those. And what you're just causing is maybe poorer quality decisions if the local authority doesn't have people, poorer quality applications if the private sector making the application doesn't have uh, people and resources. And, uh, and and we take we need to take that kind of system approach. There's no point in there's no you know we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we keep kind of robbing Peter to uh, to pay Paul when it comes to this like and this kind of musical chairs thing of just assuming that we can just deal with a limited number of planners isn't going to wash anymore. We need proper resourcing across across the board. And does this come back? I suppose and look, I'm conscious of your time, so we we will finish up now. But just I I suppose does this all come back to your premise there that really we need to be inspiring the next generation of planners. So the next generation and making this an attractive sector for people to consider as a career. I mean, the, 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 I think that's very, uh, I think, I think that's, that's probably at the center of it. I mean, historically we'd have gotten a lot of, uh, a, a range of backgrounds would have entered the planning profession. Um, and, and, Again, look, looking at it, you'd see that there's maybe some fragmentation in that now, that there's a lot of careers in sustainability and environmental management and things like that that weren't there maybe you know, 15, 20 years ago. So a lot of people entering those roles now probably in the past would have chosen planning. Uh, and we need to kind of dig in a bit more about why they don't choose planning and why they don't think that planning is the place to deliver climate action or the place to deliver sustainable development or the way that they go if they want to... Uh, if they want to, you know, change the world in 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 the way that they want to, uh, and I mean, look, the, 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 there is very practical things that need to be done as well. Is we need to look at the capacity of our planning schools, uh, is is uh, and 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 again, that they probably need support just to get the numbers through. But again, I don't want to be telling somebody to have a career as a planner. It's very rewarding, but at the same time, if there's a risk that in 
five years time if the economy uh, if the economy dips or whatever like that that there's a lot of vacancy uh, that 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 those people end up not having roles and things like that uh, you, you know you need to you need to realize that planning is you know you do in good times and in bad times uh, and that it's a, a, a and I don't know if that message is maybe is maybe getting through that 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 really it it is something that we can that that you need to do both in terms of forward planning development management enforcement there's huge opportunities there and they're going to be there regardless of what we do if we are going to meet final targets for example and and keep delivering sustainable communities and everything else um and, and again I mean something that again I know is of interest to you like it's 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 good to see that courses uh, the numbers in our courses are pretty gender balanced I think there's a lot of that we're seeing a lot more female-led uh, planning consultancies and things like that too. A lot of senior people in planning are are, are women as well. The the, the uh, institute, the president of the institute's a woman. The institute, the president of the landscape institute is a woman. President of the RAI is a woman. So there's a lot of women in leadership positions in built environment and planning too. And again, just uh, which is necessary, but being ruthless again, it's a very important thing. Just to actually get numbers in. And I suppose the last thing I'd say is. We probably need to look more at how we can expand the diversity of people coming into planning as well. Uh, a lot of the universities have very good kind of access programs to try and make sure that people from a range of socioeconomic backgrounds can get in. But you know, planning isn't it's not a cheap course to do. And there's that very practical thing of uh, do I want to do, for example, a two-year planning course or a four-year planning undergrad uh, when I could do a three-year course or a one-year course and something else. So again, we need to look at how we make it uh, an affordable and attractive career choice as well. Finally, Sean, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the the sense of purpose and, you know, planners generally come to this with a sense of common good or a sense of what the common good is. Why did you become a planner? Uh, I became a planner because um, I came to planning from a political science background. And uh, and I was very interested in local government. And the reason I became a planner was because it really, any councillor I spoke to spent an awful lot of their time thinking about planning, spent an awful lot of their time getting involved maybe in planning cases, but actually more generally taking up a huge amount of their time was a key function of that local authority. Uh, and it was affecting, they saw it, the day-to-day -day quality of life of their constituents and I was and, and that's why I entered planning is because I was fascinated about this area um, that was maybe only one small part of the local authorities function but which did seem to take you know was so central to everything else that they did uh, and that's how I entered into it so I entered into into planning from a wearing a political science and kind of governance hat uh, and that's probably still the way I look at it and that's why when I talk about planning reform reform and systemic change and stuff like that, I'm probably harking back to the, the young political scientist that I was. But again, I mean, you know, the OPR is doing a, a very good job in, in raising the skills of uh, elected members, for example. But we're going to have an election next year. There's probably going to be a turnover of maybe 300 elected members. Again, how do you bring those people up to speak if your councillor doesn't believe in the planning system and if your councillor isn't an advocate for the planning that is going on in the area? How do you expect communities to? So, you know, all these people need to be brought on board. Sean, thank you so much. Uh, frankly, I could talk to you all day and I look forward to our next conversation. But, you know, I, I, I think it's great to remember that sense of purpose 
that brings us to where we are, because actually that has to be what guides us through convoluted, um, you know, reform that needs to happen and overly complex ecosystems, you know, that sense of purpose is what will kind of keep us looking at, at the desirable outcome, which is a better place for people to live, work, spend time. It's what we all want. So um, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Um, I, I always I always enjoy chatting to you um, and I always learn so much. So that was Sean O'Leary of the Irish Planning Institute. And that's all we have time for today. My thanks to show producer Katie Tallon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media on sound. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, Place Engage, for supporting the podcast and making these conversations possible. Using immersive technologies and augmented reality, Place Engage offers a data-driven platform for more successful public consultation and community engagement for your next development project. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode, Breaking Ground for iProperty Radio.